Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about Steve McQueen's anthology series, Small Acts. I guess we're talking about it in part, right? We're talking about the first. We are talking the 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 available films of the Small Axe anthology uh, that are available to stream on Amazon Prime currently. Yes, we are going to be talking about uh, Mangrove, Lovers Rock, and Red, White, and Blue. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. And I've written about Red, White, and Blue for The Ringer website. Allison Herman wrote about the show first for The Ringer on the website. Um, but yeah, we're just going to have a discussion, you know. I, I will say this. I thought about this a lot while watching Small Axe. Not long ago, we talked about Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. right? And, it, you know. <laughs> I, it's just every time. Every, every time I think we're done with Lovecraft Country, yeah, no, but pull it's just, me it, back it's, in. That that show, right? Like, I love the discussion we had about that show because we were both mm-hmm. very animated. We both were very irreverent and saucy talking about Lovecraft Country. Sure. But that show, and you know, I'd say when we were first conceiving of post-Evangelion sound only, right? You know, we talked a lot about how do you metabolize negativity? <laughs> how do you, you know, how do you make good content of when you don't like something? And so something like something it's like something Lovecraft we think country, about a lot, to be honest. It's something we right. think about a lot, right? Because there's a balance there of on the one hand, you know, I think certain kinds of critics, every now and again you can get off on panning something. Right. But in the aggregate, if you're a critic and you only ever write about or only ever talk about stuff you don't like, that is not desirable. Right. You mostly, you know, people in general, you like talking about stuff that you like, that you enjoy, that you respect. So I'm thankful that we're talking about Small Acts for this reason. I think Small Acts is an anthology series that, unlike Lovecraft Country, feels like it's led by steadier hands and anchored in sturdier performances than (laughs) than Lover's Rock. Is that fair to say? Yes. You you keep saying Lover's Rock. It's Lovecraft. Lovecraft Lovecraft Country. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It is is definitely anchored by stronger performances and a stronger sense of place, a stronger sense of... I like the, of of larger things that the the show would like to be about. It's uh, I I think it is. Yes, it is much more confident in those respects. To summarize, though, small acts, right? Is it's a bunch of vignettes. You know, it's kind of fact and fiction, or nonfiction and and drama. You know, about West Indian communities in London, basically post-war communities, and it sort of tracks over time, right? So you you start out. With the first, the first installment, Mangrove, which is 1969, and you basically are, are trudging your way through Britain in the second half of the 20th century, which is you know you sort of like late 80s, early 90s with the most recent one, Red, White, and Blue, right? So we start with Mangrove, 
Mm-hmm. And Mangrove is about the trial of, again, this is like real shit, right? The trial of the Mangrove Nine. Uh, basically like this clash between British Black Panthers and, you know, this restaurant owner, uh, Frank Critchlow, and the police in London. And the dramatization is basically of all of the defendants, right? All these Black defendants these black Caribbean defendants in London defending themselves at trial at the old Bailey. Um, and I mean, like specify like what the old Bailey is also because it like takes significance, like in the episode, it's like old, the old Bailey in the British court justice system. I mean, like, there's also a lot of skewering of the, of the, of the British court system in this episode yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but it's the courthouse mostly reserved for terrorist enemies of the state, like not people that were just like, you know, just trying to drink some tea in the afternoon at a, at a restaurant. Right. Or people doing parking violations. Nah. Yeah. The way they set it up in the, in the, in the movie is like, oh, they try y'all at the old Bailey. They about to, they about to beat y'all ass. Yeah, exactly. Oh, see, everything I say, just imagine it's with the British accent. You know what I mean? Like I'm not doing bits this episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, and and that's um, like this is again. This is it's nonfiction. It's based on the actual trial of the Mangrove Nine, uh, and you basically have representation of real, you know, the real defendants in the case, including the Mangrove owner Frank Critchlow, uh, you know, the the activist Darkest Howe, Barbara Beast. You got Letitia Wright in here. Like you got the performances in this one are really. This incredible one does feel, yeah. it's yeah. like the, the performances <laughs> in this in this episode are film epi- it's a film it's two hours long i'm not yeah. calling it especially an mango because mango especially is two hours yeah. and nine minutes it's yeah, yeah. two hours and some change you know like okay and there is a scene um and, and i mean like these these the i mean like obviously the defendants are put through every single type of physical emotional like psychological toll like like that the toil that it's like possible for a person to go through right and like they get close to breaking many different times and in one of those scenes like the main defendant frank Crislow is like you know like maybe i'll just plead guilty to lesser charges i'm ready for this to be over and there's this and letitia wright takes off her shoe and advances across the room on him like how fucking dare you and it is incredible like it was like stand up on your couch type shit yeah and to be clear like so basically the idea is the mangrove is this restaurant and you've got all these white police riding by like what's going on here and in real life you know mangroves popping spot and basically hosted lots of black and also white you know leftists and radicals and you know there's a lot mm-hmm. of insofar as a popular community spot you had a lot of people who who dabbled in lots of different kinds of politics. And so you have the police at that time. Again, this is late, late 60s in Britain being like, nah, they, they, these are some terrorists. Who are these black terrorists? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. They all eating spicy food and talking about <laughs> communism. Uh, and like Darkest I think I think um, CLR James is like Darkest Howe's uncle. And in the movie, he, you know, he's constantly talking about black Jacobins. And so that's that's basically the pretext, right? Is that this is basically the ABC Cafe. You know what I mean? And, and the 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 whole the sort of the police harassment at the restaurant is obviously meant to be a form of political intimidation. And all of these 
British Black Panther types, you know, they fight back, they start protesting, and they get into these sort of, they basically end up in the standoff with the police. And yeah, they get they get hauled on the trial on charges of, the, the main charges against all of them are riot affray, which is basically the, the legal definition of affray, right? An instance of fighting in a public place that disturbs the peace. So basically like listening to Juicy J in public, right? And then <laughs> of, offensive weapon, right? A couple of them were, you know, weapons charges. But it's all bullshit, right? They're basically just protesters who are protesting the police crackdown on a fucking restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, like it is... And I mean, like, it's about, like, these people getting their day in court and, like, proving the inconsistencies within the system. But there's all these sorts of sequences where there'll be, like, different members of the Black community talking to local barristers or policemen. And, like, there being these, like, really charged, confusing interactions. Like, there's, yeah. there's like, this who's on first bit about... Uh, <laughs> There's this there's this who's on first bit about pleading the fifth um after one of the kids gets like gets rounded up uh just you know walking home with the shopping because the cops were playing this game where they throw playing cards down yeah. and if they if anybody picks up a spade they got to go out and arrest a black person like so this kid Kendrick is you know obviously being brought in on fallacious charges has to talk to a local barrister and there's a sequence where they're just kind of like, listen, you have to make sure that you say nothing. And he's like, all right, so I'm not supposed to be talking. He's just like, yes, but you're also supposed to plead the fifth. He's like, so I am supposed to say something. And he's just like, well, no, you're supposed to say something, but you're also supposed to say nothing. He's just like, what does that mean? Man? Like, it's like, it's so, it's so tense and so like sad, but also kind of hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the comedic beats, the comedic beats in Mangrove are very, I don't know. There are moments where I'm like, they're doing cool running spits. I know that's like a hacky thing to say, but it's just, it's funny because most of the movie is this very tense, historically fraught courtroom thriller, right? But yeah, they're, the personality, it almost feels like the way the defendants really effectively represent themselves at trial is in large part anchored by just how smart and charming they are and they really are just smarter and charming more charming than any of the police and any of the judges and lawyers that exactly exactly um, yeah i don't know it's like all of their all it of is, that cleverness like, is so it's so it is so satisfying this once darkest gets a pc pulley in the box and has like because so there's this okay so um, one of the best day in court sequences in Mangrove is Darkest, like rep one of the people that represents himself at trial, getting the police officer who had allegedly spied him and the rest of the defendants, you know, in some illicit activity around the Mangrove restaurant from the back of like a paddy wagon, like from a slit inside the van. And so he pulls out of his jacket pocket like a piece of cardstock with a slit, a two by eight slit in it that's like supposed to be the same size of the van and just fries this policeman on a pan for five minutes. Like, and it is so satisfying after all of the bullshit that you've seen these characters go through. Yeah. It's it like the it's it's really it is incredible. It's also incredible that that, that is legitimately really what happened. happened. Yeah, like, that Darkest really How happened. 
Darius Howe died a few years ago, but he, there's plenty of footage of him on TV talking about how, like, no, really, there's a part in the trial where, you know, they had the they had that wagon and evidence. And I think the difference between how it happens in the movie is that they actually were outside for that part. Mm. And it really was Darkest Howe being like, okay, officer, explain how the four of you <laughs> in this, like, eight by two inch slit all yeah, saw was, the same thing like yeah well one of y'all we would on the love right, to see that or the left where y'all like if y'all <laughs> both looking through one eye we all stacked on top of each other like yeah. you know three little kids in a trench coat what was the deal you know yeah he's just as charming in real life describing this in, in archival footage right <laughs> as it is in the movie um and just as clever but yeah i don't know there's this uh, the energy of mangrove is just really i i don't know i think it's very smart it um, is Actually, because like that the episode ends, um, you know, with the reading of the, you know, not 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 guilty verdicts, yeah. but then like the post sequence, the, the credit sequence being like Krisha was brought into court for three more trial, like for for three separate trials up to and like leading up to like the year nineteen eighty nine, like. Yeah. And the, the we were watching what well, the the thing that we were watching was happening in 1969. So for another 20 years yeah. after this like really emotional sequence where you're hearing the reading of the of the of the verdicts, yeah, and like he he see like he sees in this like really deep breath and like begins to cry and yeah. it's like victory, you know, like the 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 placard comes in right after that and it's just kind of like he was brought in. Uh, for on 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 like on charges like these two more times for a total of three trials in all up to the year 1989. Like the police continued to harass the Mangrove restaurant, and he was finally paid fifty thousand pounds, and you know never got like an official whatever from the. It was like it's like very like yo, it's life goes on and yeah. things suck. <laughs> right, <laughs> which is why it's fitting that Mangrove is the first in the, the series, right? Because that is also what the series then does is it sort of tracks that in a, in a way that's very dissociated from the specific the Mangrove trial, but it otherwise is tracking the idea that as climactic as that verdict is, right, where you have this, you know, I think with the judge, right, in the case, they established that he's a conservative, right? He's a Tory and he... He's upper class and they really sort of set the expectation that this guy is going to be a hard ass. He's not going to be sympathetic. And he's not like he gets irritated whenever, you know, the sort of rad leftist lawyer, white guy that the defendants are sort of working with. Right. Whenever he sort of picks these procedural points. But by the end of the trial, it's sort of the idea is supposed to be that, oh, the not guilty verdict for these, you know, the sort of the general acquittal of these guys is supposed to be significant because even somebody like this judge is forced to acknowledge that there is racism in the Metropolitan Police Department. But like you said, right, it's sort of the rest of this series is going on to say that actually all of the change is slow. and Yeah, exactly, because the tension throughout the entire final act of, like, the film is like between you know trying to make some sort of apocal like something something apocal happen like in the courtroom and also just like trying to continue to walk free as nine people like and that in the end you're like really left wondering whether 
they proved that they, this was whether they, you know, like proved like all the stuff that you just said and all that sweeping language, or it was that they proved that there were so many inconsistencies in the British court system that you had to let them walk free. Yeah, totally. But then you got Lover's Rock, which isn't about any of that. I mean, it, well, it is and it isn't, but it's Lover's Rock. Oof. It's oof. just, okay, you know what? Watch how deep this is, all right? So if you if you will concede that Mangrove is, I mean, like, these, the, is the story of these nine people, like, going really to hit these white people where they live at, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, the, yeah. in the courtroom. Yeah. Like, it's the final sequence of, of it is, like, what they look like in, like, the public eye, Yeah. Yeah. Like Lover's Rock is more like insulated. It feels like, you know, it's purely focused on this house party. Like, yeah. and that's all that the story is about. Lover's Rock is just a, it's an experience. I feel like everyone who's watched it will tell you this that there's, Lover's Rock has the magic, Lover's Rock has the goods. Lovers, Why is that? I I laughed, I cried, it really moved me, Charity. I'm not even kidding. though you're really just watching a sort of you, you're watching a high concept Soul Train episode in a weird, you know what I mean? There's something about it. You're watching a music video, you're also watching a movie, you're also watching a bandstand. Like the definition of what it is you're even watching. You're watching a playlist, frankly. You're, I mean, like it's really, it 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 really is that, like I I cannot stress enough that you are just watching a place, like a place yeah. that like and how it morphs over On the course of an night. evening. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, not good it's, for everybody. It's is a rough night, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's not. It's like Lovers Rock is about this house party that takes place in the early '80s in you know West Indian community in London. Uh, it's sort of about uh, Lover's Rock, which is a genre of music that was a reaction to a popular Jamaican music. And Lover's Rock was, rather than like the more political, like revolutionary stuff that was like more uh, geared towards what like, you know, men would listen to, like the stuff that men would like be on the dance floor dancing to without a woman in sight. There's Lover's Rock was the stuff that was more like ballads, like love songs. Uh, you know, honestly, there's probably something weird there about like, you know, missing home. Like there's, it's the, the songs are kind of feel like forlorn, even though like they can be celebratory. Like the main one in silly, like the main one in Lover's Rock. There's this crazy sequence where oh, it like is, that goes, that goes on for so long. Oh, and so it is, good, it's so amazing. It's so like, it's because it's just like, it, it goes on so long that you're like, I can't believe that this is happening. And it's also just like, thank you at the same time. Yeah. It's almost like you're there too. It's very yeah. good at going on for a long time to simulate the idea that you are at this very sweaty. That you're at this, yeah. that you're, it's, it's like, okay. The song is called silly games and like there's a part in like you know the the climax of the house party the walls are sweating and like the music drops out and everybody is just singing this in you know acapella and it goes all like it's a 10 minute sequence and um 
what it is is like this is cool thing that could like really only happen by accident because of the way that those kinds of films are seen is that they probably had to do it acapella and apply the music afterward. Like, so in the course of trying to capture whatever the energy was, it was so good that they just stayed in it for 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like all the live vocals in that scene are nuts, right? It, Those yes. Acapella parts are just like, you think everybody's voice is going to fall apart, but it, it yeah. does have that energy of when you're, when you're with people at a party, you're like, you don't know the random distribution of vocal talent at this this house party. Exactly. But it, and I don't know, man. It's in uh while you're at like, you know, the random distribution of vocal talent, it's also like about the random distribution of energies at like yeah. a house party like that. And it's always uneven. It's always exactly. like oh, this one guy is doing too much. This right? one guy's doing too much, or this one guy just, you know, doesn't know how to vibe and is like, you know, being too handsy with this girl that's obviously not into him and like, why don't you just chill out and go outside or something? But then there's also the one guy that shows up and is dancing a little too hard. Like, but then everything evens out like somehow. Yeah. It's like white people have can't hardly wait. And then now I have this. Yeah. Although um, I also have can't hardly wait, but now I have also lovers rock. <laughs> I don't know. Can we also get a little generationally specific? I will say that every black person in this in lovers rock dresses like for instance you got people at this house party dressed like my mom was dressed like look like my mom you got the one dude that dresses like my uncle raf you got you got the you got you know uh old old dude from top boy that uh is the main the, the main love interest guy who unfortunately dresses like my dad like I, something about this this is the mo this lovers rock is the most direct attack on the two of us, I feel like I don't know. Like, who was the person that sold our people so many holographic shirts? The black men with all why of are these you holographic why patterns. Are you, why I'm not are hating. You, it's just, why? it's just, especially <laughs> during the silly game sequence, like, or, or during a lot of those sequences when there's just a lot sort of, of geometric press. slow panning uh, across the dance floor. I'm just counting. I'm just like, how are all of these shirts glowing in the dark? It's, I, listen, I think everybody looked good. They I think did. everybody looked great. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's hair looked good. Everybody's clothes looked good. Even the dude with, you know, even again, the one with the tan suit, the tan Obama suit, even he looked, <laughs> you know, in his own special way with the hat. Oh, man. Like you've oh. seen that man in church. You know what I mean? At age 78 in church. Trying to absolve and... himself of the sin that he committed on this specific night. Yeah, yes. exactly. We've all exactly. seen him there. We've all seen him there. Uh, have you ever watched something? Uh, that's the thing. The other thing about Lover's Rock, I just don't know that I've ever seen something like it. I really never have because it's like, you know, and I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking about um, the ease with which it, like, depicts where tensions might arise like from these communities because it has like because he has a personal knowledge from living within them is like there's not any judgment cast or it doesn't feel like there's any judgment being cast there's no specific moral perspective in lover's rock it's more just like cataloging an entire evening through feeling and experience like tactile and you know sonic and otherwise but it just kind of 
passes almost like a dream. I like I've never really seen like I really haven't watched anything like it. But specifically, like another thing about that though, like uh, that separates like Lovers Rock from Mangrove is like whiteness only intrudes on it one time. Yeah. And they don't like it's the film doesn't linger on it for any length of time. Like there's the one scene where Martha goes outside in a huff to find her friend and then sees like the group of white dudes sitting on the newsstand. They're ruffians. Like, they're, the ruffians. Yeah, yeah. They're by and a they, car. they and they yeah, and then they like, you know, they begin to approach. And then the bouncer shows up, like gives them one stern look, and they, you know, because they're all pussy, they turn around and walk off. So it's and then it's over. The next, like the next scene is, I don't even remember what, but like it's really like they don't linger on it at all, I, which I really it, liked. It's weird because I lingered on the fact that the movie doesn't linger on the one time when white people are standing at the perimeter of this party looking aggy and excluded. And I lingered on it because I think it really gets to something that feels really effective about the small axe movies. I think after Mangrove, which is like, like in that particular moment, it's that feeling kind of you're playing like an open world video game, but you get to the outer bound of the world and they're, they're sort of trying to be like, yo, you need to go back. Oh you, yeah, you're, you're approaching the end of the mission area. Like, that's what it feels like when Martha like runs into those white people. It's like you are approaching the end you of the mission area. The Please mission turn boundary. back now. <laughs> yeah, return to mission 13, 12, 11, 10. Yeah, it, I yeah. Mean, but but it, but that that idea, right? That um, instead of instead of these movies always being about like segregation, isn't this awful? It it sort of it sort of in a more passive and subtle way, letting you think about how those kinds of barriers between communities assert themselves through implication. Like, I like that that entire sequence happens through implication. All of this sort of violence is implied by the white boys, but then you have the bouncer show up and he's implying violence. And you're like, yeah. oh, that's how these communities exist just on a map, right? It's just by this sort of implication between these groups. Again, I'm going to bring up Lovecraft Country again, because I think that that's what... Like, that Hippoletta episode of Lovecraft Country wants to be lovers rock so bad like it, it's a different kind of thing but you know you know it's the same like what you're saying about it being kind of fluid mm -hmm. and it's kind of dreamlike and it's kind of experimental like lovers rock has that and i could just i think after i watched lovers rock i thought back to lovecraft country and thought that's what some of those later episodes of that anthology series were trying to do like it, it, trying to have that same level of this is just a vibe, man, or this is just a sensory experience. Yeah, it just, just that's I it's I struggle to describe Lover's Rock in words that I don't usually use to describe music. Like it it's like yeah. it's, it 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 move like it moves. There's movements to the evening. Like the the long sequence where they're just running back uh uh, Kunta Kinte dub by the revolutionaries yeah, like over yeah. and over like there's the guys banging on the wall screaming reload it reload <laughs> and it's like that actually happens like you know that's a part of the night where everybody's like somebody everybody else has found some some something to get up on and there's a group of dudes on the floor like you know 
running like some hyphier shit than was playing earlier in the <laughs> evening. <laughs> Yo, even when they let the guy out who was, wasn't he, he was stealing change from the the phone booth, right? Sort of yeah, earlier, I, well, like when was, the sun was still they, out. When they, yeah, that was like... I got like super emotional when that happened, you know, like, cause yeah. it's like, he's, he shows up and he's just in, he's so angry. Like he's yeah. in so much pain yeah. and he is mm, threatening to harsh the mellow of the party. That's the thing. It's like the tension's like, obviously that like, oh, this guy's going to come in and fuck it up. Yeah. And then, then, and then one, and then one random dude just walks over to him, ha like hands him a joint and just taps him on the shoulder. just like, yo, you need to like, come over here and stand next to us, which also means calm down. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, you're not like alone over here. Like, why don't you just come hang out with us? And then they let him get on the, he's just like, then they let him get on the mic, you know? And it's yeah. just like, you got something in you that you need to get out. And then he brings that, uh, the uh, Kunta Kinte dumb yeah. energy to the party. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, I think that element of all the things going on in this house party, right? All the threads. I just think that's the most brilliant one. Cause you, you can imagine a worse movie just being like, yeah, he, he, once he comes in, the final act is somehow he fucks the party up and then the police yeah. break it up. But mm -hmm. it, it's, it's the fact that's that that's not that how tension, it happens. It's like, yeah. it's, it's instead it's, the tension is just very, it's just unwound, right? And it feels like meat falling off a bone. The way that they integrate him into the party. Yeah, like, it's like he gets his, mo like, it's, it's like that person gets their moment and then it recedes into the background. Like, yeah. everybody gets their moment and then it recedes into the background. Because it's, like, about the evening. It's about the house party. You get what I'm saying? None of us are bigger than the house party. No one we is bigger than the, house, the party. house party. Okay, so the most recent installment, three of five, is Red, White, and Blue. This is the one starring John Boyega. Mm -hmm. um, and we're back in the political territory, and we're back into talking about the police this time. John Boyega playing Leroy Logan, who is a real-life figure, real-life former uh, police officer in London, wrote a memoir recently, came out earlier this year, Um. What's his, what is his memoir called? I think it's Closing Ranks, My Life as a Cop. Very accomplished black officer in the London police. Basically, John Boyega wants to be a cop. And the movie opens establishing very decisively that Leroy Logan's father, Ken Logan, does not fuck with this aspiration whatsoever. Ken Logan does not like the police. <laughs> Not he tries to teach his son not to trust bit. the police. Don't talk to the police. I mean, it's like the first scene in the movie is a bunch of white cops swarming on Leroy when he's a kid, right? To frisk him because they're searching for some suspect. But Leroy is like this little boy wearing a uniform and a goofy backpack. And his father comes up and he's like, don't you, uh, don't you talk to my son. He's riding in the car home with Leroy and he's like, listen. You know, you got to stand up for yourself in a moment like that. Don't talk to the police. You know, you're not a ruffian. And that's how he puts it, right? He's like, you're not a ruffian. You're not doing anything wrong. So, like, nah, you don't need to be talking to police. You fast forward. You, John Boyega sized Leroy Logan is a research scientist. And but he has this, like, 
you know, he has this crisis of confidence and he's like, what if I want to be a cop? Like, what if I want to be a beat cop? Again, imagine I'm saying this in a British accent. Um, but I'd like it's <laughs> he is he it's you're selling it. He has a PhD in like yeah, forensic science. Yeah, black and, man PhD and forensic his science wife and, and his white friend who he you know beats in the hundred meters by several lengths. It's just when like, he breaks hey, out man, those track shorts. You should, yeah, he's just like you should. Uh, like you you could you you could be great as a beat cop. You know. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like you know what yeah. I could be great as a beat cop. Yeah. And that's really all it took uh, for his him to start well, considering his mom seriously. encourages yeah. him too, right? His mom well, is sure. supportive yeah. of this idea, right? His, his mom is also supportive of him. But like, really, what I was reading on to this is that like, really what Red, White, and Blue is about is about it's just turning inside out the idea of changing the system from the inside. Um, which is something that you might become indoctrinated with if you're somebody like Leroy Logan, whose parents wanted the best for them, and like you ended up in private schools and like all these, you know, institutions, and then you get all these fancy ideas in your head about how you can be a part of anything, which is like the scene in the kitchen. You wanted us says, more British than the British. You wanted us more British than the British is like heartbreaking. Like the yeah. actual crux of these of this episode are the interactions between uh Leroy uh who is, you know, optimistic and is in the process of being beaten down by the world and his father who was physically beat down by the world next to Leroy yeah, is we trying to ward him off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we should clarify too, apart from the fact that from a young age, right? Ken is trying to talk to Leroy about the police, but then later on, obviously Ken Logan has his own encounter with the police where, you know, it's like two white cops see his truck Park. They, they try to write this trumped up parking violation. Ken is like, man, I have a tape measure. I'm parked the right amount of length from the curb. And the police don't want to hear that. And they just beat the shit out of him. They beat him to the curb, um, put him in the hospital. And Ken Logan is, he, he's like, I'm going to sue these. I'm going to sue him. I want to see them in court. I want to confront these two men in court. Um, and this is all happening while Leroy, while John Boyega, is, you know, he's executing his plan. He's like, I kind of want to become a police officer. And it's not just like what you're saying. You said the word optimistic, right? And optimistic would be one thing. Okay. Um, it's more it's, so that he feels like some sort of duty, like in aggregate to the people that think that he's something that he isn't. Yeah, but it's like it's it's the fact that Ken points to what happens to him himself and he says this is why you can't trust the police whereas someone like Leroy looks at what happens to his father and said no this is why I, ha I have to become a cop is to prevent this from happening to other people and I, so when I when I just when I get hung up on the idea of optimistic I think the thing that really makes Leroy Logan as a character in Red White and Blue is that he also thinks he's clever right like the scene when he is in the interview board when he's applying to become a police officer, right? Before he goes oh, into the training. You know, it's you like, know you know what? that standoff? That's that important. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. It, it's, it's important that he does think he's clever because it's not, it's more, more than optimistic. It's like, it, it is conceited. Like, yeah. He's conceited. He's definitely it's conceited. conceited. Yeah. It's conceited because he, because it takes 
cons- it takes like you know a terminal case of big headedness to think that you can change the entire like a corrupt system by yourself. Well, to me, like one of the most effective moments is the interview where it's like a three member panel who's interviewing Leroy Logan and Leroy, you know, he kind of cuts them off with their, their rudimentary questions. And he's just like, listen, I just want to, I'm going to put this out there that I applied to combat negative attitudes. You know, I think there are divisions and misunderstandings and in the community. And I just, I think I could change that if I'm allowed. And then you have the, you know, you have the sort of senior most white officer in the room talking about how, yeah, you're right. You know, our attempts to interact with your people, he says your people, your you people know, have fallen people. short. It's like, it's, it's, These it's two people also, think they're using each other though, is the thing. It's yeah. like, they're two people that think they're both using each other. And you know why the the white guy backed up by two other cops sitting beside him in this room that belongs to the police department thinks that. But Leroy, you're just like, what where what are do you, you deriving this? Do you, yeah, what do you where why do you think that you're on equal power brokerage here? There's yeah. I, there's yeah, it's 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 exactly it's exactly that. It's it's just kind of like and then he's made to suffer indignity after indignity and like wonder whether or not it was worth it. And it isn't really in the end. Well, like, let's. Well, let, let, I mean, it's like they haze him, right? First of all, you've got the. It's superior, like the superiors it's, and is, the other recruits, right? They're just they either ignore him. You know, there's one point where he's pursuing a suspect, calls for backup. Suspect starts wailing on him. He finally apprehends the guy, and it's just no officers within the actual area of where all this is happening showed up, and instead he gets his friend, right, his Pakistani friend on the police force, coming from like 20 minutes away. You've got the superiors who are unresponsive to graffiti on the guy's locker. You know, it's 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 this con- it's this conspiracy of both the older old school white generation of superiors in the department, but also you also know, the people that are working next to him, directly right. above him, and like everybody is saying things to each other and not to him. Yeah, and it begins to drive him nuts as it would anyone. He starts doing John Boyega shouting. Yeah, he starts doing John Boyega (laughs) shouting because nobody will come out to face him in the open, which yeah, yeah, like it's it's a very it's 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 a very frustrating watch after something as nourishing as Lover's Rock, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I do think that's that is the ideal positioning right between Mangrove and red, white, and blue, because it's just those two movies are so... I, I mean, Mangrove is less exhausting, right? Because that is funny in a lot of ways, frankly. Oh, but yeah. it's just the perform- yeah. the performances are so invigorating. Whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, there is a sense of exhaustion in red, white, yeah, and blue. Yeah, it's just like, it's just a sp- seeing somebody walk slowly into a wood chipper for 81 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I will say that you're... Let's talk more about your sense of what is born out right in the hazing mm-hmm. and all the bullshit that Boyega mm-hmm. puts up with because I think by the end of Red White and Blue I didn't get the sense that McQueen is making I didn't get the sense that McQueen is making Leroy Logan out to be silly for having that kind of faith in the no, system I, I don't think that it's necessarily that he's making him out to be silly but I don't think that anybody can make him out to be smart either like i mean it's just i mean because like the 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 toast between him and his father over like you know the half 
drank, uh, you know, plastic handle of rum. Yeah. Is the two of them after both after obvious lovers tiff under a single halogen light bulb drinking shitty liquor being like, I guess life goes on. I don't think that's McQueen like lauding Leroy for his decisions. It doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah. It, well, I guess it's just that the way that they talk about progress, right? Like the, the, the thing that Ken Logan says, you know, progress, that is a slow wheel turning. Like, I don't know. There's, there is a measure of ambivalence in that statement that feels like it's not incompatible with what Leroy Logan believes in. It's just that Leroy, I don't know, his attitude and his sort of arrogance about it is so off-putting. And it feels like in the end, Ken is trying to say, look, if you are going to be this optimistic assimilationist about, about stuff, you at least need to not be an idiot. Right. Like I just think of the scene when um after it's like in the middle of the recruit the the new recruits training at the police department. You remember the mm-hmm. scene where they're in the classroom and they're all introducing themselves and fucking John Boyega gets up and he gives like a real Housewives of Atlanta thing about how like I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, it's yeah, like, what yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Suicidal it's tendency like, is that? It's really just <laughs> Yeah, it's just like what? What are you? What are you doing? What is this? What do you mean? I, like I don't. Yeah, it's 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 very like I don't know. It just he just I don't feel like I'm not rooting for him throughout the throughout the film. You know. What do you feel about him throughout it? Because I, I, yeah, you're right. I don't know that I was rooting for him because it's just like I've seen this you're, movie no, before you're, like, you're, in a way. Enjoy, so I like, know yeah, that's it's not just kind it's of like just... I've you've seen that movie before. You've read it multiple times. You've heard your parents talk about it. You've you got a bunch of speeches at it at like you know family gatherings. There's like it's it's out there. That way of thinking is out there, and I don't really need to see it again. So what I'm watching it is for John Boyega to do John Boyega stuff, like. And even that is not enough because it's just kind of like, I am annoyed by this way of thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, but even so in that stuff, the things that I love most about the film were like the pain interactions between father and son, which were just like, which sung really to me, like the scene where he's driving him off to school, like, you know, stubbornly, he's just like, "Come on, Mia, take it to the whatever." Yeah, when like, they hug, oh, I bawled. The it hug was, is so good. It, yeah, because it's like the sad Al Green song is playing, mm-hmm. and like you know, they can't talk to each other the whole car ride, and then he's just like, "All right, well, good luck at school," and gives him a hug. Al Green, it's, how can you mend a broken heart? Oh man, you're right. The music and the music in Small Axe is good. It's so it's, good. It's very good. Whew. Um, I look forward to watching the rest of these movies. I will say that. Yeah. I feel pretty good about, again, it's, it's, there is, I feel like in our episodes of Sound Only so far, I guess we don't, we obviously don't just cover movies and TV. We cover a lot of different things, but of the things we've covered, I feel like we've been hard on more things than we've been bullish on. Is that a fair estimate, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that's 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 probably fair. Yeah. Um, we've got 
you know, I, this is I, I I like Small Axe a lot. You've got Alex Weedle and Education of the last two movies coming out December 11th, December 18th, respectively. You know, maybe we'll have time to talk about them by the end of the year. Though honestly, next week, what are we talking about next week, Micah? Oh, it's time next week we are going to hold our noses and dive into the cold, cold, confusing waters of the Kojimaverse. Yeah, um, well, we're also going to talk about like cyberpunk, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about cyberpunk. Cy- cy- <sighs> like, you know, hopefully, if it's out, you know, if we can, yeah, you know, touch yeah. it by then, we'll we'll talk about cyberpunk 2077. Um, What's well, like one, if it's out, but two, c- cyberpunk 2077 is reportedly a 175 hour video game. So even if it is out, it's just we're I'm like a, we'll I will only have like scraped the surface of well, it. Yeah, we'll like three percent of this game, so maybe yeah, it'll be I, later. Maybe I don't know. It might be a couple weeks before we get get fully around <laughs> Cyberpunk. Maybe we'll, we'll have some preliminary thoughts. We'll pull something together. You can email us. We'll make it do what it do. You know, sound only pod at gmail.com. Email us about Cyberpunk. Email us about Kojima. Email us about any of the episodes we've done so far, except for Lovecraft Country. Don't email us about Lovecraft Country. Email uh, us about Widows if you've watched that again recently. Yep, Steve McQueen. Also. Well, well, you know, although we're not entirely sure when or how we will be broaching the Cyberpunk 2077 topic, we will be doing, again, we will be doing a mailbag episode to round out this year. So hit us at soundonlypod@gmail.com with your with your deepest darkest burning questions, you know? We'll, we'll we'll get around to some of them at least. We will, we will. Yeah. Till next time. I'm Justin Charity and I'm Michael Peters. We'll see y'all. <laughs>